Hi Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. The cult episode. This month we're going to be covering two cult-adjacent topics. CA is doing a film, and I am doing a cult... Period. Period. A cult. (laughs) What do we got? Well, you actually get to go first. Oh my goodness, I forgot about that. Congratulations. I'm not ready. (laughs) So this month, I am going to be talking about the Church of Euthanasia. (gasps) I've never heard of this. You've never? Okay. I'm so excited. So it's interesting because we're going to dissect it because one of the major topics that we're going to be kind of discussing at the end is whether this is considered a cult. Okay. Okay. Um, just kind of um, something to note at the beginning, I'm going to be discussing some sensitive topics today, including suicide. So that's just important to note right off the bat. Trigger warning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Suicide. Suicide. Also, I want to note in the beginning that there's going to be some quotes that I say for people, you know, committing suicide and things like that. But we know now the most widely accepted term is died by suicide. Right. Right. So just saying that at the beginning also. Yep. All right. So the Church of Euthanasia was founded in 1992. This is a recent cult? Yes. Okay. By Chris Corda. My ex-next-door neighbor. No way. No. I made that shit up. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. My small town is crazy. Not that crazy. she's not from a small town. She's from the Big Apple. Oh. Big Apple City. (laughs) Not from the Big Apple. So, great. Yep. So Chris Corda is a trans woman who created a controversial, quote-unquote, church which had four pillars, and these four pillars were suicide, abortion, cannibalism, and sodomy. Wow. Yes. I have no words. Right. Well, it gets interesting. Okay. So Chris was born in 1962 into a very stable home in Manhattan, and at an early age, she fell in love with music. She was always really interested in computers, so she just had a pretty normal uh, childhood. She also became slightly obsessed with immortality, overpopulation, and the world's natural resources at a very young age, as one does. As, yeah. As I mean, one does. And the obsession only grew as she got older. So her fear began to kind of make her anxious. She had a lot of anxiety about global warming. As one does. As one. I mean, it really can, especially children, there is that fear about imminent danger and... I remember the day that I learned that the sun would explode one day. I was in like sixth grade, I think. Uh And I had my first existential crisis of what does it all mean? I mean, we all start young. That's how a lot of people felt at the Y2K situation. You know, I I was blissfully unaware. Thank goodness. I was sick that night. It was like the biggest (laughs) New Year's Eve event of... Well, not my life because I'm getting married on New Year's Eve, but (laughs) of my young life. And I was so sick. I couldn't go to any of the neighborhood things. But my aunt worked at Bank of America at the time and she had to like go into work because they thought all their computers were crashing. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. So she like sat at the computer with her headphones and like they were like ready for the cleanup. We all have that moment of existential dread that comes with the most terrifying things in life. Right. And like at the time in the early 90s, people, um, you know, the hippie movement from the 60s and 70s trickled into kind of mainstream thought. You know, people were like, well, maybe we should start, you know, caring about this kind of thing. Right. So she grew up in New York City 
and she left in 1981 and she moved to Boston to go to Berklee School of Music. She dropped out after just a few weeks to work as a freelance musician, and she later became a computer programmer. So she became interested in something called the Dada movement, the Dada art movement. Oh, I've heard of Dadaism. Perfect. So cubism, collages, satire are all forms of Dada, which originated kind of as a backlash to World War I. So it was a very anti, um, it's a a counterculture, essentially. Right. And a particular part of Dada was essentially a performance art aspect of it. All right, so fast forward to 1992. Chris had a dream, which basically depicted an alien being, uh, who she calls the being, um, who came to visit her in her dream. And the being says that basically it was a representation of Earth in another dimension. And the being says that the planet's ecosystem is collapsing and that the world's leaders basically will deny it. This dream was a call to action for Chris, and she woke up from these dreams murmuring and whispering what would then become the church's slogan, which was, save the planet, kill yourself. And so, like, I was all (laughs) on board with save the planet, and it took a second for my brain to register the kill yourself Mm -hmm. part. Huh. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting way <laughs> okay. to process an alien coming to you in a dream. Yeah, so we're going to get into some quotes now. Um, and this comes from um, the Church of Euthanasia website, which is actually still active today. Oh, yes. I wonder who's running it. How deep did you go in your research? So uh, it's, a, it's essentially like an archive at this point. I don't see any new information, but... Um, but it's still there. Someone's no. still paying the domain. And there, yeah, exactly. And there's um, a couple interviews on there where basically it's like a Q&A session, one of which says, quote, what were the spiritual revelations that brought about this holy church? And Chris says, so I personally channel for what I describe loosely as an alien intelligence that my followers and I refer to as the being. It's not clear where the being comes from. It appears to be from the earth but in another dimension it's now pretty well understood that the earth exists in many different dimensions simultaneously other than the ones that we are immediately able to perceive these beings are concerned with the fate of the earth and are trying to reach me and many others particularly through the phenomenon known as crop circles and they are message from the beings excuse me but uh didn't she hear from the being through a dream? She did. Where did she get this crop circle thing from? Crop circles, I think, is um, it's <clears> just <throat> something that was happening at the time. So she stole it from a movie. She stole it. She, she, her and M. Night, M. Night Shyamalan got together, <laughs> created signs, which I have on VHS. Um, another quote was that the, um, the interviewer interviewing Chris said, quote, and the being is telling us to, just, to decrease our population. And Chris says, the being is telling us to restore the balance between ourselves and the earth. So that sounds like teach sex ed in schools and hand out free condoms. That would be a much more reasonable That's how I would approach to it. overpopulation. Yeah, that's how I would approach it if a being came to me and was mm-hmm. like, population control, perfect. Sex ed. Yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. If you have sex, you will die and you will get chlamydia. I'm a pusher, Katie. <laughs> exactly. So this sparked the beginning of the Church of Euthanasia. 
So as the earlier quote suggested, Chris didn't appreciate the fact that humans had kind of wedged their way into climbing to the top of the food chain and essentially wiped out all other competitive beings. This had created issues with biodiversity and the environmental factor for hosting such a destructive species is affecting the planet. So Chris took the shock factor and the anti-culture concepts from the Dada movement to grow her ideas and create a following. So Chris linked back up with an old roommate. His name was Robert Kimberk, which they called Pastor Ken, um, who would become one of the first Ominous. members of the church. Right. Pastor Kim. What did I say? Pastor Ken? Yeah. Regardless, um, ominous. I mean, yeah. that's a scary pastor name. Yeah, said Pastor Kim. Uh, so Chris was a vegan, um, but she didn't like people. So she built her church following basically pretty much online. So this is when, you know, things were starting to happen. Uh, we're now moving through the 90s. Chris began to collect a few followers, and they decided to attack one topic at a time. Chris decided that the overpopulation issue would be the first to be addressed. Well, they only had four topics to cover, right? Well, four pillars. So those four pillars are directly in relation to overpopulation, which we'll get to. Okay. So in 1992, the first place that the church was ever seen, they ever got together, they were like, guys, we got to go somewhere was actually a skinhead rally. What's a vegan doing at a skinhead rally? <laughs> well, they were. it was basically like a counter-protest. Were they counter-protest? <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> to, like, um, uh, you know, racist white people. Oh, oh, oh. I thought they were there in support with the racist white no, people. No, 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 no. Counter-protesting. Counter-protesting the, okay. the skinheads. Yes. Now I understand. Yes. Apologies. No, Continue. No. In July of the same year, where in 1992, Chris was able to get a pass to the floor of the Democratic National Convention, where she handed out bumper stickers with the slogan, Save the Planet, Kill Yourself. So people began talking about this, and it even sparked an interest in the church. So some people were on board. Most people were not happy, especially the people that were there. Because they're like, listen, do not associate yourselves with us, please. (laughs) So during these kind of early years, you can see the ideologies of the church emerge and solidify. So this is where the four principles came in that I spoke of earlier. So we're getting back to it. So the four pillars, um, this was the means to control the overpopulation and to avoid having children of your own. Okay. The first is suicide. I think the first should be condoms. Yes. So we, let's do our own versions. First would be condoms. Yeah. Or birth. Well, you decide. This is your okay. This is okay. Your My moment to shine. So suicide. So she believed that death should be voluntary. So the suicide had to be something that you chose for yourself. And with the same thing with all of these, this had to be a conscious decision. So she didn't really believe in killing somebody else. You're not making that decision for somebody else. It's all about choice. But being in a cult, you're easily persuaded to do the things that the cult's telling you to do. So even if you're, you say you're giving them freedom to do whatever they want to do. Mm -hmm. How much are you actually giving them freedom versus Mm -hmm. brainwashing them into believing that they have to do these things? Well, and, and this was obviously considered a church that it was called the church of euthanasia, but it was also just kind of like a bunch of weird, uh, politically active young people, probably anarchists, a little bit, Uh the vegans, the vegans. Um, so abortion was the second one. We're going to go with birth control being the second one. Okay. So abortion Though, would be... We'll keep abortion as the second one. I mean, abortion yeah, for consenting yeah. individuals with uteruses, go for it. Absolutely. So that would be the ideal situation to handle a pregnancy that may come about. 
So if you do end up getting pregnant, abortion would be what she would suggest. Cannibalism is number three. And there I'm going to have to go with birth control. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go ahead and swap those out. Yep, yep. So if a human were to consume any type of flesh, it should be another human. However, only if they're already dead. So So I'm imagining like a roadkill situation where you happen to stumble upon a dead body and just consume it. I don't know. Unless you've got your own hitman, I don't know how you're going to find a dead body and just start eating it. Well, and that's fair. But they even posted a how to butcher a body, a how-to on their church's website. I'm going to go with highly problematic for Mm -hmm. 300, Alex. (laughs) The fourth was sodomy. So basically she means anal, essentially. Oh, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. Continue. So basically, if you're going to have sex, like, anal is going to be the best way to prevent pregnancy. I don't know that... I would agree. However, I'm not here to yuck someone else's yum. There you go. I mean, but accidents happen. Accidents happen. Absolutely. But this leads me into the only commandment for the church. Thou shall not procreate. So everything we just talked about is essentially just like don't have babies. Maybe kill yourself, but definitely don't have a baby. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And the the idea is, you know, we're overpopulated anyway. Why Why would you contribute further to that? Great argument. Um, maybe adopt a baby. Yeah. Like, there are plenty of babies in foster care. Mm-hmm. Take care of the babies. Yeah. Sure, you don't have to procreate. Sure. The idea is to bring back the balance of the earth. Suicide was one of the largest parts of the church's creed. So they provided a how to uh, die by suicide portion on their website as well. They often held signs at rallies that said things like, depressed, question mark, kill yourself. They also supported assisted suicide for elderly and terminally ill patients. Um, In a segment on the church's website, this whole Q&A portion, the question was, quote, how do you feel about excessive drug use or smoking? Things that would kill, kill you very slow. And then Chris says, quote, we're definitely in favor of it. And we do say that if you're going to drink and drive, it's very important not to wear your seatbelt. End quote. She has a clear vision for what she wants. She sure does. No, she is all about it. And we will discuss it further too, but like a lot of the argument is like, is this satirical? Is this just a, because part of what she's trying to um, state, she's assuming that obviously all of this is absolutely ridiculous. And how could somebody take this seriously? I mean, is she or is she actually advocating for people to kill themselves? So she never says we should all kill ourselves together. The first pillar is suicide. The first pillar is suicide. She Uh, was definitely prioritizing it. That's true. But she also says, uh, and I don't have this, I don't have a quote or anything on this, but I did read that she, she did say that it would be beneficial if somebody did die by suicide because it would basically validate their beliefs and thoughts and give credibility to the church. Most churches I know are trying to get members, Mm -hmm. and I feel like she is actively working against that goal. So in its peak, the church had between 100 and 200 members. So it's not small. Some, Some cults have like 12 members. That's true. You know? So she's a fact. And again, she used um, the internet to reach a large scope of people. What we're about to talk about is her and the the church kind of showing up at random places, making themselves known. So it was definitely people started figuring out who they were. And now whether they believed that they were a cult or not is for, I think, everyone individually to decide. Right. 
So the group began showing up at different events to spread the word. Boston's Population Awareness Day in 1994 was where they first showed up. Um, and the Boston's first night parade, which was basically a family-friendly event. Um, during both of these events, they had bloody baby dolls or cannibalistic baby dolls and graphic sign that said things like, quote, prevent AIDS, aim for the chin, end quote. Yikes. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fucking weird. What? Yeah. It's, I, it's I'm very, still at a loss for words. I know. I'm. It's bizarre. Try not to be because we're a podcast. I mean, I'm trying to. I know. I know. I don't feel adequately prepared for this <laughs> cult. You really dove straight into the deep end here. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, it does get weirder, though, so don't worry. Oh, good. So in 1995, the government essentially came at them and said, you know, hey, we need proof that you're an actual church or, or you know, religious organization. And when they submitted all of their paperwork and their backup, they were rejected in May 1995. So they said, you cannot be a religious group. But we can allow you to be considered a charity or educational foundation. Now, I feel like those two things are backwards. Like, I would, under no circumstances could I consider this to be a charitable foundation. Right. Or but, or an educational? Right, exactly. They're, they're trying to say that they're informing people of, you know, I guess how to not... Uh, kill the planet. I mean, this is like the Black Mirror version of uh, Greta Thunberg's uh, speech in front of the Senate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're also in the Upside Down. And the Upside Down Black Mirror world. Exactly. Yeah. But they did receive tax-exempt status. And that's terrifying. Yeah. We, we know. They, our government knew that this was going on. Yeah. They and allowed it to happen. So after this, the church set up a suicide assistance hotline. And even purchased a billboard. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like they are actively working against literally everything that my job does. Yeah, it is. And I'm nervous laughing. Obviously, I don't actually think it's funny. But I'm uncomfortable. I'm Um, hashtag hella uncomfortable. mm -hmm. Thanks, Chris. So they never, they never actually allowed the the hotline to go live. Um, They didn't want to host that. Thank the gods. Yeah. But basically it was to to walk people through how to, to end their own lives, which is so fucked up. It's like, did you know, random aside, did you know that suicide has been scientifically proven to be an act of impulse and circumstance and not like having the opportunity, mm-hmm. not something that people really plan out the majority of the time? Oh, wow. Yeah, like if you were to take away the opportunity for someone to kill themselves, they're likely going to co- go on living. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, which I think is interesting because yeah. up to this point, I'd always heard that it was something that people planned, which is true to an it extent. Makes sense because I know that there's there are stories about um, in one particular. I know that there are stories about. <laughs> Especially, I know I've heard stories about younger kids dying by suicide, who it, it does seem impulsive, you know, because being young is so hard. Well, and uh, the research that I was reading actually talked about Sylvia Plath, mm. uh, who stuck her head in an she oven. She sure did. And what some of this research showed is that all of England actually had gas ovens about the time that Sylvia Plath killed herself, Mm -hmm. and women were killing themselves by sticking their head in an oven and just turning on the gas. So what England did is they realized that this was an issue, and they replaced all the stoves with electric stoves, and their suicide rate dropped tremendously. Oh, wow. So 
if their suicide rate had stayed the same and the modality of suicide had changed, mm-hmm. then we could say that suicide was actually a a consequence of something other than opportunity. Sure. But the majority of the time, it's kind of an impulse opportunity thing. Wow. Well, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit more also. Yeah. Sorry. That's Small okay. aside. There we go. So Chris states that anyone who voluntarily ended their life would be canonized in the church. And they even held a ceremony when the Heaven's Gate um, cult died by suicide, mass suicide in 1997 in California. So very interesting. Right. You know, it goes back to like, is this a cult or is this not a cult? You know, if it if it wasn't, then why was she so into that? I'm going to go ahead and call this a cult. Okay. I think she's a cult leader. Mm-hmm. Maybe an antisocial one, but definitely a cult leader. Yeah. Yeah. Irrational absolutely. beliefs. Mm-hmm. Had a following. Had a charismatic leader. Yeah. Uh, and she's gorgeous. And she's fabulous. It's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> Damn um, shame. I know. I'm going to have to see a picture after this. I'll show you. Uh, we'll put. They'll be on the Instagram, too. Um, but the group actually appeared on the Jerry Springer show. Whoa. Yes, I can so. think of no better show for this yeah. shit than Jerry Springer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and do you remember how I said that she liked music? Yes. So the Church of Euthanasia created its own record label to attempt to spread the message of the group. And it's hard to say how serious they took themselves with the recording. Um, and it's hard to tell whether it was ironic or psychotic. Because um, a lot of their music was very strange. It was very, it had a lot of sound. Um, but her first, um, public song was titled, was titled Save the Planet, Kill Yourself. You know, uh, it's short, it's sweet, it's to the point. Mm -hmm. Maybe pick a new slogan. Yeah. Yeah. But it was kind of everywhere and they did sell it and people did buy it. Yeah. This is a quote from Wikipedia. Quote, following the 2001 September 11 attacks, the church posted on its website a four minute music video titled, I Like to Watch. Combining hardcore pornography with footage of the World Trade Center collapse, including an electronic soundtrack recorded by Corda with the lyrics, quote, people live in the streets while I play with my meat, unquote. I'm going to say, uh, know your audience. (laughs) (laughs) Read the room. Read the room. Wrong time. Mm -hmm. Inappropriate. Yeah, it is. It is, especially because it showed him, this is continuing with the quote, it showed a man uh, masturbating and then cleaning himself with an American flag. Cordova described the project as reflecting her contempt for and frustration with the profound ugliness of the modern industrial world. I mean, we're all angry at the modern industrial world. Oh my God, I know. I went on a three-minute rant earlier today about it. Yeah. But... You don't create a music video no. that's highly inappropriate Absolutely. just after 9-11 yep. with a man doing mm. a thing with a flag. <laughs> I know. Mm-mm. No, it's really sad. So this is continuing on with the quote from Wikipedia. Quote, the church's instructions on how to kill yourself by asphyxiation with helium were removed from its website in 2003 after a 52-year-old woman used them to commit suicide in St. Louis, Missouri, resulting in legal threats against the organization, end quote. So ironically, Chris um, takes no responsibility for this. That is ironic. They go to court and she's like, nope, not our fault. Didn't do it. Didn't do it. Wasn't did not me. publish those bump- bumper stickers. That's right. I did not have sexual relations. This is one of the many things that she does that's contradictory. So the question remains about whether her stance on global issues and her church were simply satire 
and that she used the shock value to get people to listen to her message. But even then, her message was convoluted most of the time and really had no purpose. So back to your original point, if your whole purpose is to control population, why wouldn't you just preach safe sex? Yeah. That Hand out condoms on the corner. A lot more sense. So I'm not quite sure if she got off with all of the power dynamic of it. Um, and I mean, probably. I think that's what cult leaders typically are looking for is to be able to control people and to have people idolize them in some way. Mm-hmm. And clearly she got some of that. Yeah. There's stories about, and I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing, but basically she they created a story so that people would go protest at an abortion clinic. And they showed up, and uh, underneath the sheet, there was somebody dressed in a giant penis costume and, like, ran around. So it was very strange. It was all very weird. I don't hate that for some reason. Oh, no. I don't hate no, it No, I'm actually... So what I think I'm finding most surprising about this particular cult is I can get on board with, like, a third of what she says. Sure. Like, I am pro-choice for abortion. Mm-hmm. If you want to do butt stuff, you do butt stuff, mm-hmm. boo. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's you all you. You, you do boo, you. Boo. Exactly. Um, save the environment. I'm here for that. Mm-hmm. If you want to disrupt protesters at an abortion clinic by running around in a dick costume, mm-hmm. do it. Do it. It's, it's just the fact that she's also telling people to kill themselves mm-hmm. in order to achieve her mission. And I think you're right. I think part of it is that she's just trying to get a rise out of people. Yeah. But it's definitely not satire. She definitely means part of it. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's the hardest part is to shift, sift through all of the bullshit, basically, to find out what her true intentions are. But she's currently uh, making music. She's super big in Germany, actually. She's still alive? No. No, she is alive. Never went to prison. Never was formally charged. (gasps) What? Does Um, she still have a cult? The cult has been disbanded since... You know, at least 2001, I know, since we talked about it. But Yeah, yeah. No, I feel like uh, a similarity between Chris and all of our other cult leaders in the world is that they really don't see that they've done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, for someone who preached, save the planet, kill yourself, it's surprising to me that she's still alive. Mm-hmm. And maybe that goes back to maybe she didn't actually buy into what she was saying. Yeah. Or maybe it was something much deeper than that of she was only encouraging a certain type of person mm-hmm. to kill them. I'm, I'm just confused by most of this. It's hard to say. I mean, the group was really inclusive. I mean, like I said, it was a bunch of, it was like the Island of Misfit Toys. I mean, this, you know, organization is run by a trans woman who is, who are gathering like-minded people and are trying to make a statement. So... That, it is full of mystery, my friend, and that is the Church of Euthanasia. Excellent job. Thank you. I'm very impressed um, and very disturbed. It is. It's totally weird, for Which, sure. Which, I guess, is the nature of being interested in cults, is you just are constantly disturbed. And my goal, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say right off the bat that Heaven's Gate is my jam. That is my favorite. That is the creme de la crop. I want a pair of Nike Decades so bad. (laughs) Um, But I do want to cover ones that are going to be, you know, maybe lesser known because I think we tend to hear about the big ones kind of over and over again. So that's my goal. My favorite one is uh, Jim Jones. Jim Jones, yeah. Yep. Jonestown. 
Yep, Jonestown. We had a pastor at my church whose name was Jim Jones. No, uh His first Sunday there, he stood up in the pulpit and promised to never serve Kool-Aid. Uh-huh. And I was in, like, early high school, never heard of Jonestown. Yep. Jones, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't get the joke, uh-huh. but my parents very nervously looked at each other and, <laughs> like, like, chuckled. Nervous laugh, nervous laugh. <laughs> Let's go and transition to the lighter side of cults. Yes. And cult followings. And so you're going to be covering a movie today, is yes. that correct? I have picked a cult classic. Yes, you so have. So the idea behind this was you pick a cult, I pick a cult classic, just because... We can. We can. <laughs> Why not? They have something in common, oh, for yeah. sure. They both start with the C. <laughs> All right. That's the first laugh you've actually had this whole time. Is it? Yes. You didn't think I was funny talking about all that series. I didn't think I was funny. <laughs> no, you were good. Ugh. All right. So, um, for this week, I have picked But I'm a Cheerleader. So good. As our first cult classic. We picked this movie for several reasons. I picked this movie for Mm -hmm. several reasons. Mm -hmm. The uh, biggest reason being lesbians. Mm -hmm. Hashtag lesbianist. Lesbians. Let's be honest. Les. Les get started. Les dollar beans. (laughs) But I'm a cheerleader. We'll give you a little... Little backstory. Let me set the stage for you. Please do. The year is 2000. Oh, what a time. What a time to be alive. Uh, the director is Jamie Babbitt, mm-hmm. one of my faves. Surprisingly, this movie got a 41 on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, huh. Now, the reason you know it's a cult classic is because it got a 41 on Rotten Tomatoes, which would automatically mean don't watch it. Sure. However, Google users rated this movie a 91. Wow. Well, there you go. So That's why we all it has it so a cult much. following. Yes. For sure. Does. We're all, we're the cult that is following mm-hmm. it. Natasha Leone, who mm-hmm. you may know from Orange is the New Black, mm-hmm. plays the main character, whose name is Megan. Yeah. Megan is a cheerleader um, and mm-hmm. therefore cannot be a lesbian. Sure. Uh, she's got a boyfriend. She comes home from school one day, and her parents have set up an intervention mm-hmm. that results in her being taken to a straight camp, mm-hmm. uh, conversion camp, if conversion you will. Conversion camp, yeah. Let's, let's just dive right in to yes. how you know you're a lesbian. Now, okay. I took extensive notes on this. Good. Just in case. Um, My first note is, interesting that she doesn't know. It is interesting. I mean, I didn't know in high school that I was gay. Yeah. I don't know if I was writing to that in reference to that she was gay or that she was like her friends were setting her up. I think I wrote that when they're all like whispering behind her back being like, don't oh, tell her. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. She was not very intuitive. No, she wasn't. No, that's fair. Bless her heart. Okay. So here's how you know if you're gay. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, eating tofu. <laughs> uh, a dramatic switch to vegetarianism mm-hmm. is the first sign. Yeah. Um, pictures of women in your locker, mm-hmm. uh, a poster of Melissa, Melissa Etheridge mm-hmm. might do it. I'm also going to be bold and go ahead and assume that if you have a poster of Katie Lang, okay, Tegan sure. and Sarah, sure, sure, sure. who are the other queer icons? <sighs> Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga in modern day, mm-hmm. maybe not in 2000. No. Um, Avril Lavigne would probably be like oh, a... Yeah, for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Paramore. And then... I really have to figure out where the hell she got this pillow, but she has like an orchid pillow that kind of looks like a vagina. 
to be fair, you collect items that look like vaginas. I do. I really love collecting items that look like vaginas. Yeah. Most recently, last time I was at your house recording, you were like, look, I have this like cookie jar. A cabbage? It's a it's a cabbage jar, mm-hmm. and the top of it definitely looks like a labia. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really very proud of it. I don't know what I'm going to put in it yet. Make a shelf of all your, your cooter stuff. I cooter, should. Cooter corner. Hey! <laughs> and the very last one on the list, which I think should have been first, is not liking kissing boys. Mm. So I'm just going to have to give all of those a check for me. Yeah. The the aggressive kissing from her boyfriend at the time was very, it was very intrusive, I will say. It was. He did not strike me as being a good kisser, even if you were straight. Mm-mm. So I'm going to have to go ahead and say that that was not her fault. No, but also he knew that she was going to, to conversion camp. It was just a weird, he didn't seem to be bothered by it at all. Yeah. None of her friends were. They were just kind of like, okay. So one of the things I really loved most about this movie, and I don't think I realized it until I went back and watched it this week, is the straight people are so fake in this movie. Like, no one's honest. No one shows genuine emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you get to the gay couples later on in the movie, Mm -hmm. and they're actually holding each other while they're dancing. And Mm -hmm. um, they care about people. Like, it's a very stark contrast to what the straight people were portrayed like. Mm-hmm. Very so true. I made a note uh, after the Not Liking Kissing Boys of Compet, which is uh, compulsive heterosexuality, which is basically a, a social construct that women have to pretend to be straight or f- experiment with being straight before they can feel like they can step into being gay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. They also liken the conversion camp to a homosexuals anonymous. Essentially, it's all very gender normy. It's very which gendered. I'm sure you'll get to, but everything that they're doing at this camp is like the girls are learning to clean, the guys are learning to fix a car. Also, RuPaul is not in drag. It's the best through the whole movie. There's and he's no RuPaul so good. in drag. I know he's so good. Yep, he plays a straight man throughout the entirety of this movie. He plays no, he plays a, a formerly gay, gay man. man. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. In his tiny little shorts. Yeah. I mean the whole what I love about this movie too is the the costumes and the um set design. Everything is blue or pink. And everything is plastic. Mm-hmm. Like even their clothes yeah. look like pleather. Mm-hmm. And then again, you get back to the scenes with actual gay people being gay in them. And they're wearing normal clothes. It's like blue jeans and a t-shirt, and mm-hmm. they look comfortable. Yeah. Um, which I just really think speaks to the rigidity that if you're trying to force yourself to be straight, mm-hmm. what it must feel like. Yeah. Like you're living your life in this place of being bubble wrapped in plastic mm-hmm. so that you appear on the outside to be this one thing, even though it's never actually comfortable. Yeah. And it it's doesn't an feel safe. Safety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she gets to uh, True Direction. Mm, one Direction. I was waiting for you to say that. In my notes, I was like, I bet Allie's going to comment here. One Direction. That's my second note. True Direction, One Direction, any coincidence? Question mark. <laughs> Potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, side note, I thought your One Direction, like the uh, red fish, blue fish. One fish. Two, two fish. fish. Yep. One Direction, Two, two Direction. direction. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Glad we were both here for that. (laughs) Um, So 
there are all these different stereotypes of the other kids. Uh, there are eight kids in total at this conversion camp. We have Jan, who is very androgynous. And Jan's the goth. No, Jan no. is the... Australian? Oh, no, Jan with yeah, the, with the, the must, landing strip yeah. on her head. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong place for a landing strip, I Jan. No, poor baby. Uh, we have Sunid, who is the goth. Okay, got yep. it. Zap, zap. Zap, zap. <laughs> uh, Joel, who is the Jew. Okay, yes. Who identif- self-identifies as yes. the Jew. He's got a yarmulke. Yep. Uh, Graham, who is it's our Bay's love interest. Graham's feeling very shamed today. Graham is she, feeling very shamed every day. She's stepping on that black button down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Andre, who is like the Latino artist. Mm-hmm. Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dolph, who is like the military guy. And Clayton. And my only note for Clayton is that he looks like he's ivy bound. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's just the vibe he gives off is like who's the guy oh so they're um okay so the guy from uh the guy who plays rufio in hook is dolph is okay yes i had not actually made that connection yes two points to you (laughs) and also the guy from um remember the titans who also plays a gay character in that one the blonde guy who (gasps) yes Mm -hmm. yeah that's the uh that's clayton mr Mm -hmm. ivy league there we go i think yes yes um so I feel like they have just really covered like 90% of the stereotypes mm-hmm. out there for LGBTQ oh, yeah. plus youth. Yeah. Two points to Gryffindor for mm-hmm. putting together this amazing movie. Amen. Um, so you get there, everything's covered in plastic, and the very first thing you have to do is admit that you're a homosexual. That's step one. That's step one. She's um, like, admit that you're a homosexual. I did not write her down. What's oh, her name? Hillary. Hillary. Thank you. She's like, the first thing you're going to do is admit that you're a homosexual. My favorite, one of my favorite quotes from this point in the movie is, and I quote, it's really easy to be a prude when you're not actually attracted to him, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they were asking if she'd ever had sex. And she's oh, like, yeah. really uh, invasive no. questioning. Super invasive. Everyone goes around the room and is like, are you fucking question mark? <laughs> you sleeping with him? The most invasive questioning, and we'll get to it in just a minute, is like in the family therapy section when they have to disclose the roots oh, of their, their homosexuality. Roots. Yes. Oh, we're gonna get there. Or um, is this? Are we just spoiling the whole movie? Are yeah, we they're definitely people have seen this before. If listening? you have not seen this, well, we've announced it already, so they should. Know. Right. So go watch it. Pause here. Mm-hmm. Spoilers. And we're back. Yeah. So uh, go watch the movie before you listen to anything else. Mm-hmm. So there's like these five steps that you have to get through. We're going to fast forward through a lot of this just so that you don't have all the spoilers. Because mm-hmm. we still want you to watch the movie to find out how we it ends. We really do. I mean, we need to grow this cult following. Mm-hmm. But basically, step one is I'm a homosexual. Mm-hmm. Step two is rediscovering your gender identity, which Yikes. has nothing to do with Yikes. sex. Like, no, it doesn't. Uh, we'll talk about. We can cleaning talk the about kitchen, the kitchen has nothing to do with who you want to fuck. Amen. Amen. One more time for the people in the One back. One more time. Cleaning the kitchen has nothing to do with who you want to have sex with. Mm-hmm. Um, step three is family therapy, where they're really trying to get to the root of why someone's a homosexual. And that was really weird because. Um, literally, Graham's is that her mother got married in a suit. Let's talk about Megan's, who was like, 
my dad was laid off from his job. Oh my god! And, and my she, mom had to take care of us for six months. And she emasculated him. Oh, that poor dad. That's what. Yeah, that's what the the group leader said. Yeah, super fucked up. They uh, learn how to behave as the opposite sex, or no, same sex, their sex. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the they, sex all, they were assigned at birth. Yeah, and, and they are all um, cis yeah. gender yeah. individuals. Um, and then step five, the creme de la creme, mm-hmm. the piece de resistance. Oh, yikes. Is the simulated sexual. Simulated sex. Lifestyle. What the fuck? Literally, I have in my notes, she's 17. She is 17. Dressed in a nude leotard, leotard with uh, leaves with covering like felt leaves covering your titties, her lady bits, and your vagina, and then the guy has just one one leaf over his wiener, <laughs> and they are simulating sex in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. It's super painful to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just super painful. And I can imagine how, you know, if they're not already, if this hasn't been traumatizing enough for them, then that would have really set. I mean, obviously it's a comedy, you know, right. but they're, I don't know, it's weird. Also, the the lady who runs this organization, her son is clearly gay yeah. and is then paired with Graham and it's weird. And yeah, I'm going to argue that she is also gay. Um, you think so? Oh, yeah. And then she's suppressing it herself. Mm-hmm. So. She was in Casper. I love that you know all of this. See, I have a gift, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I have two gifts. One of which is, I don't remember anybody's name, but I can tell you other things that they've been in. My second gift is that I can tell when there's a baby in a movie, and if the baby grows up and the baby is like an actor and in other things, I can look at the grown-up and be like, oh, that's the baby from huh. whatever. Just put that in your pocket. I don't. <laughs> I didn't know you had these gifts. Yes. I mean, maybe the first one. But uh, the baby growing mm-hmm. up one is a very specific type of gift. It's a very niche. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. <laughs> so we're not going to tell you the end of the story. Go watch it. We will say, or I will say, that um, a counter... Uh, organization. Organization, thank you. Mm-hmm. Comes in and basically takes the kids from the conversion camp to a gay bar. Mm-hmm. And everyone kind Which of... Which is called cocksucker. Yeah. It's not great. <laughs> I was like, really? You can do ourselves it's a favor? Come on. Very on the nose. We don't know how it made it past rewrites. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, much more lesbians in the cocksucker than gay men. Just saying. It's supposed to be ironic. Mm. Don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> um... So, I really, I want to take some time, I know we've already touched on this a little bit, but to talk about the differences between how straight people and how gay people are portrayed in this movie. Okay. And I think the the moment that stood out the most to me is at the beginning when um, Megan first arrives at the conversion camp, and the lady who runs the place is out, like, watering her flowers. That are plastic. That are plastic. And yeah. she, like, pulls them up. And, and like, windexes them off. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just had this moment of, oh, my God, if I were attempting to be straight, mm-hmm. this is what my life would look like. Mm-hmm. Like, it would be so performative. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I, so, which leads me to believe that she is actually a straight or a queer woman herself. Mm. 
um, just pretending to be straight, and that's why she does the things she does, because she's spent so long trying to fit inside this box. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. The whole... um... The whole uh, organization has kind of like a Tim Burton feel, like almost like a counter Tim Burton where it's not dark, but it's like overly bright, but also, like you said, performative and dark, but dark in that way. It's like the anti-Adams family. Exactly. But you don't see her. She she doesn't have a partner. No. We never see her with another. No, we don't. to another. Like the communication between the gay couple who comes in and basically saves the day, mm-hmm. like they are highly communicative. They mm-hmm. check in with each other. Yeah. They, you know, share a very honest and tender moment where one has said something that kind of offends the other one. You can tell it's coming from a place of trauma. Mm-hmm. And then they very quickly back up and they, they like check in with each other. Mm-hmm. And it's so sweet. Yeah. And you don't see that even from the actual straight couples in the movie, like any of the parents. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember any straight couples in the movie because the, the, who, what's the lady's name? The, the mistress's name? Yeah. Yeah, her name. I keep calling her a lady. I mean, she is a lady. Is Mary Brown. Mary Brown. Okay. So Mary doesn't have uh, a partner. Um, It's all very singular. Everybody's kind of a loner, at least that works at this conversion therapy camp. And then all of the people who are actually coupled up are obviously either miserable or complete assholes. Yeah. Like all the parents of the kids when they show up. Because Graham's family is basically like... Either you are straight by the time you leave or we're cutting you off and you don't you no longer have a trust fund kind of thing. Right. Um, and then Megan's family, or at least her mom, even says, you know, you're not going to be welcome back into our home. Mm-hmm. Which, yep. even to this day, is such a huge problem in the gay community. No, it really is. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that stands out um, about this is how... It was clearly satire. Like, the whole movie was, you know, kind of poking fun at the idea of conversion camps. But this is still a reality for so many people. Mm -hmm. Like, this is still what a lot of straight parents envision Mm -hmm. when their kid comes out. If their kid trusts them enough to come out. Yeah. So. The the first protest I ever went to was at a church that was holding a conversion like class or seminar at a church in Charlotte when I was in high school. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, you know, went up with a group of other people and made signs and it was just like warm and like, you know, we love you. We're here to support you. Like, that's amazing. You know, so, and watching it with my fiance, who is a straight man, you know, I was, I was like, I just want you to understand about like what we're watching because this is a reality. What did Ray think? Well, I think Ray was confused by whether it was supposed to be funny or if he was supposed to be taking it seriously. He doesn't quite know, you know, as a straight person, what to say. Like, what are we, is he, are we supposed to be laughing at this? Is this supposed to be funny or right. should I be being considerate and concerned for the people in the movie? So, you know. Yeah, I could see that. And I think it would be different. Like, you and I watched it together for the first time in 2010 or 11, maybe. It was so long ago. Mm -hmm. And we were both out by that point. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think for us watching it together, we felt very comfortable. 
really kind of taking it in and laughing when it felt appropriate, but mm-hmm. also acknowledging like, oh, this is a very real part of gay history. Right. And even current gay experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, obviously we knew that it was knowing that this is not how conversion therapy is, but aspects of it are like the gender stereotypes. That's really all it's about. Right. Is like play your role. And then it's just kind of acting. Yeah. You're just going through the motions. And the message I kept hearing over and over again throughout this movie was play your role. It doesn't matter if you're happy. Mm -hmm. And then in the gay household, they were immediately like, what do you need? Mm -hmm. Let's get you into school. How can we support you? Mm -hmm. Which is a very different narrative than what Megan had been hearing probably from her parents for years. Um, But certainly... Once the intervention happened and she went to this conversion camp. Yeah. I guess let's talk about the love story here. Let's do. Because what is a good old lesbian movie without a love story? Without a misunderstood, smoking, angsty, dirty haired. What is with lesbians and dirty? I mean, my hair is dirty currently, but. No, it's a thing. It's a thing that lesbians do. Yeah. It's a phase at least. Well, especially in the 2000s, that's when Elwood, the, the prime Shane thing was happening. Yep. Alice went through that phase for a few minutes, too. They all did. Nobody wore a bra. It was just the wild, wild west. I really wish we could go back to the no bra days. Of yeah, but they were all, they literally weighed two pounds, six ounces, all of them. And they had no boobies, too. They didn't really need any support at all. That's true. Even if they wanted it. Maybe emotional support. No, they definitely all need (laughs) emotional support, 1,000%. So, but Graham is kind of the the love interest, and Megan is slowly kind of coming out. Yeah. Coming to terms. Yep. Figuring out that she's a lesbian. Uh, Megan, who's in the process of coming out. Mm -hmm. Graham, who is already out, loud. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's out. No longer proud. Yeah, she's a little sad. Poor baby. I know. It's so She hard. tells the story about how basically they, she was with, I guess, a girlfriend or a, a love interest and her stepmom found them together. Yeah. May, perhaps in the throes of passion and then was sent, sent to conversion therapy. Yeah. Which is really every teen queer's nightmare is being caught by a parent. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, teen, teen tweet. Yikes. That's too young, CA. Too young. My bad. Any teen, that's everyone's nightmare. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a grown-ass adult, and still my biggest fear is my parents walking on me, even kissing somebody. (laughs) No, they're, yeah. It's just as bad as the other way around. It's always so bad. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So Graham is out, and I think Graham is really struggling with feeling like she needs to still be part of her family, mm-hmm. especially for that trust fund, but also I think to please her parents because at the end of the day, I think most teenagers really want to. Yeah. And you know, it's her, her dad and I believe her stepmom. stepmom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But absolutely. I mean, you don't want to, first of all, you don't want what you are doing and who you are to be perceived as bad or dirty. Yeah, you don't want to be perceived, especially when you grow up in our society, which, I mean, from the time you're three years old, someone's like, oh, do you have a boyfriend? Very playfully, even to young children, which is so problematic. Yeah, it is. Or like, give him a hug, give her, you know. Yeah. Forcing intimacy Mm -hmm. with anyone, not caring for consent, even from young children, or Mm -hmm. especially from young children. Yeah. But I just think the hypersexual and the lack of 
uh, education about consent for young kids really feeds into this like sense of well if I'm not straight then I'm obviously wrong Mm -hmm. so I think that there's some identity stuff going on for both of them but yeah and I think maybe now it's a little bit more uh there's a little bit more education about what the spectrum actually is and where you might fall within that because I think when we were growing up, at least in high school, it was like either you were straight or you were gay. Are you straight or are you gay? Yeah. Are you straight or gay? Are you gay or straight? Are you gay or straight? You got to pick a side. There's this Rufio. He's drawing a line in the sand. You got to... <laughs> are you on one side of the sword mm-hmm. or the other? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So when we were growing up, the uh, statistic I always heard was that one in every 10 mm-hmm. people is probably gay. Exactly. Um, That's what and they said. I, I don't know what the statistics were for trans individuals. You were in the GSA. Maybe you have that I sure statistic. Don't. Okay, no, cool. My hand, sorry. So that's fine. I recently read that it's now for Gen Z, one in three. Oh, wow. Which is amazing. Like, that is amazing. And so there's this big question of are more people actually gay mm-hmm. than, or queer, trans, non binary? Mm-hmm whatever, not cis straight, Mm -hmm. or people just more comfortable with it and exploring it and therefore coming out at a younger age. Like what, what does the change, this drastic change in statistics mean? Well, we look back at, you know, earlier, even our grandparents' generation. I mean, there are less people who are out at that time because it wasn't socially accepted. So I would argue absolutely it's because people are, are safe to safer not safe completely but safer to do so i would say i have a lesbian aunt who was in world war ii she was a nurse that's insane i know your family is just crazy (laughs) i i don't even think about how weird my family is until i start talking about Mm -hmm. them and i'm like oh i have this weird thing yeah um but yeah she was never married um and she and my grandmother like so this would have been my grandmother's aunt by marriage so she married mm-hmm. uh uh-huh. big daddy his aunt mm-hmm. and they used to like travel the world together mm-hmm. it's a little scandalous it's a little scandalous a little suspicious oh. i have my theories mm-hmm. um but you're right like i think people are becoming more and more comfortable with it and really growing up oh gosh she would have been born in the 1920s mm-hmm. or earlier than that you don't come out mm-hmm. like there it's just an unspoken yeah Great Aunt Mabel and her friend. Right. So. Yeah, I know. God, it's always a friend. This is my roommate. Oh, it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I still Stop bringing your roommate to Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. I really do. I don't remember what that's from right now, but that's what <laughs> popped in my head. Anyways, they're fighting against all these societal pressures, plus they fall for each other at a conversion camp, which... Yes. Also, the... Um, the I don't I don't want to call her the goth girl the goth girl what's her name Sunid Sunid okay so she's like Loki masturbating in the bed looking at it's not even Loki she is actively masturbating yeah, with the zapper with thing. Graham's sock oh yeah and the zapper thing <laughs> and the zapper thing so they leave a, 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 a like a zapper in each bed so that if you have a, a thought about somebody of the same sex you're supposed to zap yourself. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. See, that's just creating... It's aversion therapy? Yeah, but it's also like... I don't know. I just don't even think... I mean, it's problematic. It's super problematic. But I also think it would create... 
It's intended to create an aversion reaction, although I feel like the opposite. This is where kinks come from. Mm -hmm, That's exactly (laughs) right. And you know that... That she's, that's exactly what she's doing. That's exactly, that's exactly it. Um, she is enjoying the hell out of that mm-hmm. Zapper thing. She's having, she's living her best life. Also, it's so interesting to see her at the end in her, like, graduation yeah. attire. I was like, who's that? She looked like, like, from The Bachelor. She looked like, <laughs> you know. A completely different mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, the graduation scene is iconic. That cheer at the end, we're not going to spoil it. I, I will say that those sports bras that they're wearing are not supportive. They're I think that's the point. Around. Yeah, it's not good for the for the glands. I mean, that might be true, but it's good for the lesbians. Just saying. So, did you have any other thoughts on the lesbian relationship? So, um, I I do have written down that the the archetype is kind of the same in in, in a romantic movie where there's kind of the misunderstood you know, rebel character that falls in love with the socially loved and yeah, the cheerleader character. That's um, true. It's like a Hallmark movie. Mm-hmm. Like a, yeah, kind of. But um, they go through the same kind of uh, character development where Graham is not accepted by the group at first, but then is very quickly kind of brought in. Yeah. You know, so... That, they don't spend too much time on, on her being that misunderstood. I mean, yeah. there's only eight of them. They're all in this together. It's true. And they built a really tight bond by the end of it, for the most part. Mm-hmm. So one of the quotes I have written down is uh, Hillary is quoting Mary, the, the leader of the, of the conversion camp, mm-hmm. saying that, quote, women have roles. After you learn that, you'll stop objectifying them. That's the thing that she says. Yeah. Which I thought was very strange. <laughs> it is strange because, again, we know that performing femininity has nothing to do with objectifying women. Mm-hmm. It, it's but kind of... The fact that you're performing will stop you from objectifying them. I feel like it's very similar to the comment that men who sexually assault women often make, well, she was wearing something mm-hmm. that made me do it. No, she was wearing a a shirt and running shorts Mm -hmm. or a nightie. Like, Mm -hmm. you did this. It had nothing to do with her. And I feel like it's kind of a similar thing of whether or not you objectify women has nothing to do with what the woman is doing. True. And vice versa. Yeah, that's a good point. You're just, yeah, it's up to you how piece of shit you are. Yeah, but it's interesting that that quote stood out to to you. Um, And I think it's one of the ones that stood out to me as well. I just did not write it down. Um, There will be a quiz at the end. One of the quotes that stood out to me was, you assume they're thinking the same thing as you, but they're not. What context was that? So this was at the very beginning when she is, um, has just arrived and is like going through the process of trying to figure out if she's actually a homosexual. Mm-hmm. She's like, everyone looks at girls. Like mm-hmm. everyone's looking at each other. It's not just me. Everyone has pictures of girls in their locker or whatever else. And uh, Mary Brown says to her, you assume that they're thinking the same thing as you, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really interesting because as you are like coming to know yourself and mm-hmm. coming to your the realization of who you are and this big piece of your identity, mm-hmm. you are questioning, like, do other people think these things too or is this just me? Well, and the fact that she didn't even 
consider it. it. Yeah, she didn't even question it. I mean, it's just we all think of when, we, like, if you picture a calendar, like, think of a full year calendar. That looks different to everybody. Yeah. Some people picture it linear. Some, some people picture it in by month. Mine looks like a horseshoe, you know? And that's just, you have to understand that everybody, yeah. you, you how, how would you ever know that somebody pictured something different unless yeah. you asked or talked about it? So I understand that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, though I do remember when I was coming out, um, I was talking to one of my friends and she was a couple of years older than me. And I, looking back, I totally had a crush on this girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found us to be very similar. We had very similar personalities. We even kind of looked a, lo- a little bit alike. And I remember asking her if she'd ever had any of these thoughts. And she said no. And I was like, oh, cool, me either. <laughs> nope, same. <laughs> and backing that up, same <laughs> uh, Because in my mind, if she wasn't gay, then I obviously wasn't gay. Right. And I think that that's just the point that you get to is if you have never met another gay person, Mm -hmm. then what do you actually think is going on? Mm -hmm. And I hadn't met another gay person until Mm -hmm. I went to college. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I met one gay guy, but no other gay women. Mm -hmm. So then I started dating one. And then... And the rest is history. The rest is history. Still single, by the way. (laughs) Carrie Ann Watkins. Thank you so much for that shout out. Stop the betting on one. So kind of one last thing I really want to talk about with this uh, relationship is Graham starts out very sure of herself. She knows exactly what she wants and it is Megan and she weasels her way into Megan's little life, mm-hmm. fucks it up. And it's it's manipulative in a way because I think she's going into it being like, I want to win. Yeah. I want to break this girl's heart. And then she does. Like, she breaks the girl's heart. She decides that she's not actually able to come out and be out and be with Megan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's so interesting about this is it reminds me of the cyclical nature of coming out. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're gay, you don't just come out once and you're out and it's done. Mm-hmm. It's a conscious decision. Yeah. And sometimes you do go back in the closet for to either a certain person or even to everybody for a period of time for safety reasons or um, just because you're uncomfortable, which Mm -hmm. is also felt safety. Yeah. So each person's journey. You're different different levels of comfort in different times with different people. But what I'm trying to say is it's it's evolving and changing because a lot of times we're coming to terms with – these feelings while you're coming of age and everything is confusing it is and it's hard and complicated and you don't always have the support of anyone either in your family or your community or the person you are dating that you should be able to trust like it's a tough time Mm -hmm. whether you're gay or straight or straight or gay Mm -hmm. it's just rough or in the middle or in the middle we see you. a lot you. of us are. Um, I think those were most of my notes for But I'm a Cheerleader. Do you Perfect. have any other notes that you wanted to cover? Um, so, yeah, that was the story of Romeo and Juliet. And <laughs> <laughs> we're going to call it a night. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. This is um, our monthly episode where we... Uh, talk about two cult adjacent topics ca covers a cult movie i cover an actual cult and we talk about it and the intersectionality is obviously there so we don't need to starts with a c (laughs) y'all figure it out exactly (laughs) 
We'll be back um, this week, I guess. We're doing these on Mondays, and then our regular episode comes out on Thursdays. That sounds right. Yeah. So you'll, whatever. Yeah. You can take this if I don't. So, however, um, if you're binging this, then, then it go doesn't listen matter. to the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcasts Without an Audience. Find us on social media at pod without an odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanaud at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening. And we're the Queers for Fears podcast. We're here, we're queer, and we've been best friends for over 25 years. We cover a wide range of topics, from true crime to horror films to urban legends and beyond. We take our research seriously, but each other, not so much. If you're creepy, if you're queer, if you just need more LGBTQ podcasts in your ears, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon, Queers for Fears podcast, or on Twitter, at Queers Fears pod. Patreon patrons get up to three bonus episodes per month, on top of our usual episodes, uploaded every Tuesday and available wherever you get your podcasts.